Welcome to the Education, Career, and Beyond podcast. We've combined life experience with young adult drive and ambition. Are you just starting to college plan? Did you finish your education and wonder, now what? Join us in this lively discussion about the topics you need to know to create the next stage of your life's dreams, careers, finances, education, and more. Brought to you by Voice for Heroes 501c3. Welcome to the Education, Career, and Beyond podcast. We have so much fun on this show. And what is so great about it is that every week we are meeting another incredible professional student, an amazing resource to have help for our young adults. And of course, we always have Ed and I here. Capri is not with us today, but we have an incredible guest. We have Dr. Jen Harrison, and she is a highly experienced dissertation coach, a PhD herself. She has coached and supervised first-generation ESL and non-traditional students in the UK and the USA for more than 10 years. And we are about to have a really lively discussion. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Jen. Thank you for having me. And Dr. Jen, I love it. I love it. Ed, as always, it's so good to do this. It's my favorite part of the week. Hi, person in the background. (laughs) We have a special guest. I love it. (laughs) Future scholars. Future scholars. (laughs) Dr. Jen, we would love for you to start and just share with us your background and whatever you'd love to share that led us to you, to us here today. Sure. So um, I have been teaching for quite a long time now. I realized that when I like sit down to write my bio. Um, I studied children's literature in the UK, and that was way back like 2001. And I went straight from undergraduate into a PhD. And my PhD was also in children's literature. And after I earned that, I worked for a little bit kind of teaching students in the UK. And then I decided I wanted to be a secondary school teacher. So I went and did secondary school teacher training and I became a secondary school teacher. And then my kids came along and I realized that that was way too many kids to be dealing with all at once. So um, I actually started a tutoring business at that point and was tutoring for a while with um, students who were homeschooling and had special needs and that kind of thing. And then eventually we moved to um, the US, which is where I was originally born. And I started teaching in my local state college. And um, that was kind of going great teaching writing, supervising dissertations, that kind of thing. And then the pandemic came along. And what I realized was that a lot of these students just weren't getting the support that they needed. You know, everything had switched to remote learning. Um, The universities didn't know what they were doing. The students didn't know what they were doing and everybody was struggling. And that was the point at which I started the coaching business to kind of try and share some of where my research experience meets my teaching experience and bridge that gap a little bit. So that is what I have been doing since 2020, yeah, 2020. Um, and I've worked with a lot of students, UK and US, you know, they love the fact that I can bridge that Atlantic gap as well. And, um, I try to be that supervisor that they don't necessarily have in their institution. You know, a lot of professors at the moment are massively overworked, overwhelmed. There's too many students, too much workload. They're supposed to be doing research. They're supposed to be doing service and they just don't have the time to give their dissertation students one-on-one. So I'm that kind of person that fills that role for them. I'm kind of there for whatever they need and I can get back to them quickly. That's very exciting. I think that um, you you mentioned an important part of the, uh, the conversation or the challenge that professors and for that matter, just about all educators are extraordinarily busy. They have a lot to 
manage and take care of. Um, I want to talk more about that a little bit. What I really want to dive into, because it's super curious to me, is the work that you've done with um, children's literature. Could you just talk a little bit about what drew you to that and why that's a passion of yours? Sure. I mean, I've always been a reader. So, you know, if you think about the time you spend reading in college compared to the time you spent learning to read and learning to love books, most of your experiences with children's books. And that was certainly the case for me. So when I was looking for a PhD topic, I went back to the books that I loved, that I loved the most. And um, I realized that that was going to be children's lit. And it was a growing field at that time. You know, it was, it was still fairly new. The UK was kind of one of the hubs for it. And it was just transitioning from that period of really focusing on, you know, how do kids read? How do, does reading work in education? And looking at those kind of golden classics from the Victorian era to actually becoming a serious discipline and looking at things like diversity and disability studies. And so it was a really exciting field to get into at that time. And um, it was it was fun researching it, um, but there aren't a huge number of things you can do with that degree afterwards. <laughs> what were some of the obstacles or apprehensions maybe as you were starting into this? Was there a point where you're like, ooh, should I be doing this? Or was it just clear, yes, I'm in the right direction this whole time? You know, for me, it was very clear, like, yes, this is exactly what I should be doing. But I think I got very lucky. Like I had very um, switched on, very supportive teachers at the time, professors. And I ended up with a very supportive, very switched on supervisor. And they never let me doubt anything. You know, they always told me exactly what I needed to be doing and how I should be doing it. And that was why I saw that contrast when I started teaching other students and supervising and watching other dissertations and working with other dissertation students and saying, oh, they're not getting that support that, you know, I was getting. They're not having that great experience that I had. Right. <coughs> That's an amazing observation. And the fact that these incredible mentors and teachers that you had molded and crafted the direction of your life and your career, it could have been a completely different outcome without those right educators and mentors in your path. And kudos to all you teachers out there and professors out there that are really putting in that extra time to make that difference because you can see here what what the outcome can be. Yes, definitely, yeah. And I think a big part of that was that those teachers were very much into not doing it for you and not just leaving you on your own completely, but they found that middle ground of showing you how to do what you needed to do. Mm -hmm. I found it interesting that, you know, a part of your career, you mentioned it earlier, was about literary support and skills. And what was fascinating to me is it's like preschool all the way through high school and getting back to what you mentioned about there's not an overwhelming support system for young people. But I also noticed that you talked about you teach and inspire and help with motivation. What exactly is that? What role do you play in that? And why is that important when you're working with young people trying to get their skills developed in terms of the writing? So we have to go back a few steps, I think, to understand this. Um, and I'm going to speak very much from a U.S. context here, because I don't think the U.K. context works in quite the same way. In the U.S., the schools are very good at teaching the basic skills. You know, how do you write um, an essay? How do you read and comprehend a text? And but there's a lot of um, it's very much very rote. There's very much like here is the skill, learn the skill, prove you can do the skill, move on. And so students don't get a lot of practice at that very critical, independent way of thinking. And I've noticed that that is the state that they come into an undergraduate degree, and that there's very much 
um, a mentality of tell me what the assignment is, tell me how to do that assignment. I'll then do that assignment according to the rubric and then I'm gonna move on and I expect to get my grade by doing that step by step by step, you know, tick, tick the list off and then that's how I do my degree. That works fine in high school and it works fine at undergraduate level. And then you start to get into masters and it still kind of works. It probably works well enough that you get your masters. And then when you start to get into something like a doctorate, it suddenly doesn't work anymore. Suddenly, the model is much less the US very supportive, I'm going to get you through this, here's everything you need to do model. And it becomes the European, go away and do it, you should know what you're doing by now model. And students don't know how to make that transition. And so, of course, what then happens is they feel like I don't belong here. What am I doing here? What you know, I can't do this. I'm not smart enough to do this. I'm not as smart as I thought I was instant hit to the motivation to get it done you know when you feel like you can't do something or you don't know how to do something the logical next step that our brains jump to is oh, i don't want to do this anymore mm -hmm. and so like my job really like that's usually where i pick a student up is at that point where they're thinking like either i need some help here or i'm just not doing this anymore my job is to kind of say no hold on a minute what you're experiencing is completely normal all you need are the tools so once you have those tools you're going to be excited about this project again and you're going to want to keep doing it and that's usually how it works out i have a follow-up question to that regarding staying on that kind of thought process centered around motivation um, when i've worked with high school students and they have to write uh particularly for admissions and they have to write something personal like you said in the classroom they got that. They can handle all that. When they have to, when it gets a little bit more personal and they want to know about what makes them tick and they have to convey that, that also seems to be a challenge on the motivation side. They don't really know where to go and how to put all that together. What has been in your experience on that? And how do you help get them on the right track when it comes to doing something they might be a little uncomfortable about? So I think, Question. <laughs> yeah, students, um, they often have very strong opinions and very deeply held beliefs. And so there are things that they are passionate about and things that they want to be talking about and thinking about. Um, but when it comes to taking that and making it into something critical in a scholarly way, I think that's a hard leap for them to make because it's not really something that they're asked to do a lot of the time. Those two things are often kept separate in our educational system. Like we tell them there's fact and then there's opinion and we want you to learn how to present fact. And then suddenly we're saying, all right, give, give us your opinions. Like, what are you passionate about? What drives you in life? And I'm not sure they necessarily realize that that's the same thing. That's your opinions, you know. Now is the time to share your opinions. So again, it's like it's a new skill that they haven't really had that chance to practice, not necessarily how to do it, but how to think about it. You know, what, what does that actually mean when it comes to sitting down and writing about it? Um, I often, when I have a new dissertation student who's trying to come up with a topic, and that's often what I hear. It's like, I'm, I'm really interested in this thing. But, you know, what is that in terms of a topic? And we have to dig down into, like, how do you go from just interest to a problem that you actually want to solve? I don't know if you can share what that experience, like, I know you can't do it all in the time <laughs> that we have, but what are the things that you ask them to help kind of unearth that and get that to rise to the top? So there's a few different things. You can um, ask them to do a kind of um, Venn diagram exercise where they come up with everything that they're interested in, come up with all the things that are kind of really hot topic in society at the minute, which indicates that there's a societal problem there that can be addressed, and then go and do some reading in the actual research literature and see, well, what are other scholars interested in at the moment? What, you know, what are they looking at? And then you find that sweet spot where they all meet up. Okay, this is something that interests me. 
and society cares about it at the minute. And look, we're looking, there's, there's research going on in this area at the moment. And then of course, the next step they have to think of is, okay, but what's not being looked at in the research? And that's a whole nother issue. But that's a good way for them to find a topic that's gonna to be relevant in their field, relevant in society, and it's still gonna interest them. <coughs> and then something else I often have them think about is, well, okay, if you're interested in this topic, topic is one thing, but problem is another. What's the actual problem here? And if there's a problem, who do you want to solve it for? Like who's the group that you think will benefit either in terms of being able to help solve the problem or benefit from the solution. And that can be a way into making a topic more specific, but still something you're interested in. That's really good. Uh, Amy, I'm not going to take over this interview. So if you guys, <laughs> I do. I mean, I could, but I'm not going to. I will let you do most of it, especially <laughs> I was so excited about this because I knew Ed, that you and Dr. Jen were going to have so many amazing collaborative ideas and discussion in this that isn't in my wheelhouse. However, Dr. Jen, I am a professional communications and media coach. So I love working with private clients. I work with the professionals of all industries. I know how rewarding that is. And I also know how much I learn from them, even in the process of bringing in my expertise. Do you have a few examples of some of the young adults that you've worked with that you learned something or it was just this magical thing that took place that you didn't see coming as a coach? Sure. So um, I'm actually going to have to go back to my classroom teaching experience for this because a lot of the mm -hmm. coaching students I work with are mature students who are already business people and, and have a lot of life experience. But um, yes. when I think about the students that I worked with in the classroom, what always struck me most is the perspectives. You know, you expect, again, because of the education system and the very rote way of handling things it has, I think you go into a classroom sometimes expecting to know what the students are going to think on a particular topic. Like, I'm going to give you this book or I'm going to give you this prompt and I know exactly what you're going to come out with. And um, it always surprised me just how varied their responses were. And, you know, the real kind of treasure in that situation is getting them to contextualize their opinions and their perspectives on things in terms of their own life experiences and what they bring to the table. Mm -hmm. A lot of them feel like, oh, I don't bring anything to the table. I'm just a student. I'm just a kid. What do I know? Right. Um, and that moment when they kind of light up and go, oh, oh, actually, that's that's a benefit. Like, I'm not coming to the table with all this baggage. Um, I, I think that's kind of the most wonderful moment. That's beautiful. I, I see that. Because each individual has their own unique talents, their own unique experiences or what they're bringing in and how that also blends with the amazing things that you bring in. And so sometimes there's that magical ingredient and sometimes maybe it, do you find it a little more difficult sometimes finding those key things to really help somebody? Is there ever a time where it's a little bit off or you need to use more encouragement? What are some examples that you've had to kind of pull somebody over the fence on the other side to some degree? A lot of the time, I think students are afraid to share. Um, like I can remember this really memorable moment, and this is when I just come from the UK, so I was still in UK mentality for how to teach. And um, I'd given a class of uh, developmental writing students uh, an assignment. You know, write about whatever you want to write about. We just want to get you to the point where you know how to construct an argument. And someone put their hand up and said, "But I really want to write about this. But am, am I okay to use you know profanity in this essay?" And I think I replied something like. Yeah, of course you're allowed to use profanity. You're an adult. And the whole class went completely silent and just stared at me. And I stared back for a bit. And then some of them like, yeah, what, what's up? And they're like, we're not adults. 
I'm like you, you're definitely adults. You are, you are over the age of 18. You're in a college classroom. Your parents have to sign a form if I'm to talk to them. Like you're definitely adults at this point. And that idea blew their minds. Wow. That was fun from that point onwards because suddenly they were like, oh, I've got permission to write about all the stuff that probably got yelled at for. Ed, as a high school coach, have you encountered that where you've had to tell them that they cannot put those words into their essays? Um, not those words, but I, I, I'll i never forget this. I had a young lady I worked with. Oh, it's got to be over a decade ago. And she wanted to go to a very uh, liberal uh, college. And she started her essay with, I'm not a pot smoking tree hugging hippie. <laughs> <laughs> Which means that she was a pot smoking tree. Like, <laughs> um, but what was interesting about it is if you could get past that, what she had to say was actually really compelling. But it's that, you know, there's an element where you want to grab somebody's attention. And there's a shock factor. And I deal with that on subject matter. Some of it's very personal. Um, some of it at a university level may not be appropriate. It's about religion. Cause then, you know, if you go to religious school, that would be, so we end up talking more about um, things that they're passionate about and how to structure it. So they don't, I hate this. I love that. And these extreme emotions without explaining it. So I haven't dealt with the profanity. Uh, most of them, even when I talk to them in general, they don't use profanity. But I've had some essays where I'm like, whoa, that's a little hot. We might want to just bring that down. But it's hard to do because you want them to be passionate about something. You want yeah. them to have an opinion about it. And you want them to convey their personal experience related to that, what they've learned, what what you know, how they've helped somebody, or just something that they want to speak openly about. So that's usually what we're challenged with. But I encourage them to like, get it all out get throw it up on there whatever you know throw it up against the wall let's see what and, sticks and then you work with it right and then you try to <laughs> massage it to a point where you know it doesn't alarm somebody in the admissions office but yeah i mean you want them to get carried away you want them to be um transparent but you want to do it in a way that you know, you've got something that is is tangible and valuable and shows them in a positive light, not just they're just bashing, bashing, bashing. And sometimes they get into bashing mode. So uh, that's interesting. I would say that that's, that's the real skill that you're teaching them. You're not really teaching them how to write. And you're not really just giving them a scripted list. Don't use profanity. Don't mention religion. But you're trying to teach them, yeah. depending on who you're communicating with, there's appropriate and there's not appropriate. And you've got to learn how to gauge that. And that's what yes. it's all about. Right. Yeah, which isn't always easy because you you've asked them to be honest and you ask them to be open and then they give that and you're like, okay, not that honest and not that open. <laughs> so where do we find the middle ground on that? Right. So um, but to your point, Dr. Jen, it's like they've never been in a situation where they can express that. They usually are taking a piece of art, a piece of literature, a piece of history and they're summarizing it. They're not giving something of their thoughts, opinion, and impact. They've never really been put in that situation. So you have them where now they're being asked to do it, and they're not able to because no one's ever asked them that before. Yeah. And then you add on to it. It's like, okay, now you got to talk about it personally, and they've never done that before. And now so you've got this kind of push and pull type of thing. Some of them come flying out of the gate and they're like, you know, hair on fire and everything. They want to, they, they got it. 
some you've got to really go let's go down a couple le levels it's not what you think they want to hear they actually want to know what you think so let's do it in a way where it's constructed where you feel good about it so yeah it's definitely it's definitely an interesting you know extreme one way or the other yes and i think a lot of time it comes down to the questions that you ask them like can you ask them a question that's really going to draw sure. out of them draw them out of their comfort space but in a way that gets them to think critically rather than like you said just that opinion i think this or i don't think that yeah, I think it also comes down, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, is it's personal experience. Get, mm -hmm. I, I was working with this one young lady. She's like, um, I live in on a beach community, middle class, white girl. I, what do I have to say? And I think part of the challenge was she didn't really have a lot of experiences outside of the classroom. So she didn't have much to draw on. So the one thing I tell young people is go get some experiences, jot it down, document it, record it, whatever you have so that you can pull from that when you're looking at these uh, personal statement prompts, essay prompts, supplemental prompts so that you have something that you can you can talk about that resonates with you because you went through an experience. So that's the thing is like go get some experience. Then you'll have something interesting to talk right. about. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with that. Um, Dr. I did. Oh, go ahead. I'm Amy. so sorry. And we do no. this on each other. But Dr. Jen, I was curious, and this is almost an Ed two-part question. Is there is there a time when it's either too soon or too late to reach out to you to take these next steps? Do you see someone who's like, you should have reached me sooner? We're, you're too close. <laughs> or, all right, this is too soon. You can reach me in a year or two. Is there a time there that you think is that perfect spot to start the work that, that you do? I know, Chris, there's a perfect spot, but I wouldn't say there's ever a too soon or too late. Um, I'm just thinking through like some of the times that students have come to me. Um, obviously, the perfect time to reach out to me is when you're just starting your dissertation. And so then you have that guiding hand all the way through and you kind of eliminate a lot of the stress and the guesswork from what you're doing. Um, and it also makes my job easier because I'm not trying to go back sure. and correct mistakes from earlier. So like that's the perfect time for students to reach out to me. But I have had students come to me like I'm thinking of doing a dissertation in a year from now, um, just starting to think through topics like is now a good time. And I'll work with them to kind of build their interests and learn how to do things like reading critically and finding academic sources, which is hard to do. Uh, and not really taught necessarily well in a lot of places. So I'll kind of build those skills with them so that they're ready when the program starts. Um, and I have had students come to me and say, you know, the thing is a mess. Um, I've just been told that my deadline has moved to next month. We oh, gosh. I've got nothing like help. And, and I've worked with students from there as well. Successful. Wow. So, it, you know, it. I probably if your dissertation is due tomorrow, that may be a bit too late. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that, obviously. But um, yeah, there's, it's really, you know, I can work with anything from you're due in a couple of weeks to, you know, you've got five years or six years or you're just thinking about it. Yeah. Wow. Okay, Ed, your turn. That's interesting. Uh, no, that's okay. <laughs> I'm excited about the topic. So I'm, I'm trying not to step on you, Amy, but I'm doing a bad <laughs> job of that. Um, I'm curious on your, on your website, it was talking about one of the questions that I thought was a brilliant question was how does a parent or for that matter, a student know that a postgraduate degree, either a master's or a PhD makes sense for them? How do you guide them through that question? Because I do get that from time to time. Sure. I would encourage um, 
any student, well, first of all, I would say, let the student think about it. Parents are quite, you know, I'm a parent as well, so I get this, but they want to be involved in making decisions and, you know, doing the right thing for their kid. But this is a, a point where it really needs to be the student's decision based on what they want and what they think. And if they haven't thought about it yet, they need to start at that point. So it should be the student. And then what I would say is have that student not think about the degree or what they want to do in the degree or what kind of degree they want to do, but think about where are you going? Like, where do you see yourself after that degree? What is your end goal? What is it you want to do with yourself once you hold that degree in your hand? The point of the degree, it makes it, it makes you the expert. Um, and I think a lot of people forget that. Like when you do a master's, you're still learning. When you do an undergraduate, you're still learning. When you do a doctorate, you are making yourself the expert in that tiny little niche of your field. And there's no one else in the world who knows it better than you do. Why do you want that? Why do you need to have that to do what you want to do next? If there's no good reason, you probably don't want to do that degree. If there are other ways of getting to that point without doing your degree, it's worth considering them. You want to stop and think about the things that are going to be required of you to do that degree and what the other options might be and which is going to suit your style of learning, the kind of person you are, the places you want to be, the lifestyle you live. So it's very holistic. Like, don't just think getting a doctorate is going to automatically push me up to the next level of my career or the next stage of my life because it won't necessarily do that. And it is a grueling process. It's a fun process, but it's grueling. So you want to know before you put yourself through that and you make yourself into this amazing expert, do you need to be the expert? And if so, what are you going to do with it? You know, you're going to hold power. What are you going to do with that power once you've got it? And are you going to enjoy that process of getting it? That's a great answer. I like that one. A follow-up question to that. You said the degree gives them expertise and power, but I also noticed on your website, you were talking about imposter syndrome. So how do you balance mm -hmm. that? You have a piece of paper and you've studied really hard, but now you're going into a field and maybe you don't have practical experience. Where's that balance between confidence and power and imposter syndrome? And how do you move them through that? Sure. Oh, by the way, sorry. Probably explain to them what imposter syndrome is first and then go into how to handle it. Absolutely. So um, imposter syndrome is that feeling that you get when you think you are, you know, I'm going to fake it till I make it. Um, it is, you know, feeling as though you are not smart as everybody thinks you are. You are not as good as everybody thinks you are. You're not as capable as everybody around you. Mm -hmm. You might appear to be doing well, but really deep down inside you're dying a little. So that, that's kind of imposter syndrome. I actually find it's not so much of an issue for students once they have the doctorate degree and they're moving into their field. By that point, they're, they're kind of through the process and they feel like, oh, okay, I did know what I was doing after all. But when it really hits them is when they start that degree because they're probably, mm -hmm. at that point, they're used to being good at things. Um, they've probably done well in high school. They've done well at their undergraduate. They've probably done reasonably well at a master's. They've gone through that whole grueling application process. They've gotten in. They've probably gotten some funding. So they've been successful in a lot of things up until that point using skills that they have already. Now a new skill set is required. Nobody's taught it to them. And the institutions do have this bad habit of assuming that if you got in, you know what you're doing. So there isn't a huge amount of training. Supervisors, as we said, are massively um, you know, overworked at the minute. And so they don't necessarily have the time to sit down and explain in detail a lot of these um, skills. And so these students are kind of feeling like, oh, they've told me to write a lit review. I don't even know what a lit review is, but why would they tell me that? 
if I wasn't supposed to know it already. So maybe it's just me. Maybe I should know what that is. I see that with pretty much every student that comes to me. They're like, I don't understand why I'm struggling. I shouldn't be struggling. Nobody else is struggling, which is not true, by the way. <laughs> They're just lying. <laughs> I'm glad that you said that. Yeah, everybody's struggling. Nobody's talking about it. There's a lot of isolation, especially now that um, a lot of things have gone virtual as well. A lot of these degrees are virtual and remote. And so you you have your cohorts and they arrange things so that cohorts can speak and meet and, and chat. And, you know, you have some peer support. But I don't think everybody uses it as much as they could or should. And not very many people talk about the struggles they're having and how badly they're struggling because nobody wants to appear to be the one who asks the question first. Right. So everyone's kind of struggling in silence and feeling like, well, they know what they're doing, so I should know what I'm doing too. And then you've got an imposter syndrome on your hands. And it can be really devastating. It can impact um, how well you perform. It can impact your motivation. I see people ending up taking you know, multiple semesters longer than they need to because mm -hmm. they didn't ask the questions they needed to. Um, yeah, so it's it's devastating and it's real. Um, mm -hmm. but you got it. You're not alone. Well, you're describing entrepreneurship as well. <laughs> that transcends right into that world of self-employment and business owners and trying to build something. We go through those same imposter syndromes, that mindset and what you're helping them with now can carry them through lifelong. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. Um, so. I got two more questions. So you'll be off the hot seat here in a minute. Dr. <laughs> um, talk to us a little bit about read, write, perfect, or perfect, however you want to pronounce it. It is actually it. perfect. You got to write the first perfect. time. Okay. So I'm, I struggle with the word perfect because it suggests that there is no errors or you, <laughs> you're, you, it's all perfect. Can you talk about that process? And when you use the word perfect, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I should really change that to polish, I think. We write polish. <laughs> right. I'm glad we cleared that up. <laughs> yeah, no, I do agree with you. I don't think there's any such thing as a perfect piece of writing. And I think most dissertation students who are in those last few weeks um, would agree with you that there's no point at which the dissertation is finished. There's just the point at which you give up, throw your hands up and hand it in. Um, but you can get it to the point where it's polished. And from someone else's perspective, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty perfect. I think you've got to... Um, have a very loose definition of perfect. Um, but you can you can perfect your approach to things. You can perfect your mindset. Obviously, you can't perfect a piece of writing because somebody will always find the comma you missed. Right. <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, I wish you hadn't asked me that. Now I feel like I've got to go and change my business title. <laughs> okay, good. Amy, our work here is done. Well, there we have it. See, just making the world more beautiful. Yes. <laughs> Ed, you said you had two questions. I do. So professionally, you coach and you've you've taught. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of curious on your journey. Did you have somebody that was a mentor or a coach for you that's gotten you to this point? Ooh, and why is having a coach or a mentor important? That's a oh, such question. a good question. Yes, I really, really do. So when I did my doctorate, I had a professor who was my supervisor. His name was Professor Peter Barry. Actually, I had two, but my previous supervisor ended up leaving, and I ended up with Professor. Professor Barry, and he was just the most amazing man. He'd actually previously been a monk, which is one of those weird facts of life. Really? Monk mentality. He was the calmest, zenest, kindest person I've ever met. Um, and like I said, he was very much about teaching skills. So he taught me everything that I know currently about research, about writing, about reading, about critical thought. 
Um, so having that kind of mentor when you're in that formative stage of your career, I think is really important. Someone who's going to show you the ropes without judging you and without kind of playing the superiority card who will treat you as an equal who's learning. I think that's really important. And then when I started my business, you know, I've been a lifelong academic and teacher. I know nothing about business. I was so completely at sea. Um, it was laughable and I'm not the kind of person who naturally goes and seeks help. So mm -hmm. I had to be picked by my husband repeatedly until I hired a business coach and it was the best move I ever made in my life. He, you know, he, he does the work of knowing what I should do next and what direction mm -hmm. I go in so that I can focus on my business. And so I think it's really worthwhile for people to think about coaching in that way, yeah. that you don't have to be good at every single thing ever you have your strengths and it's fine to seek help with your weaknesses. Yes. Dr. Jen, I always share that great coaches have coaches. Yes. And it's the truth. And the greater coach you meet, you find out how many coaches they still have. Yes. It's yeah, so true. I love true. that. It's I so true. That. Dr. Um, Jen, sorry. Ed, you're, yes. Yeah, I was playing around with another question in my head, so that's okay. <laughs> Well, you can still save that one. Dr. Jen, I want to make sure that we touch on the fact that this is what you do and you are out there as a resource. What are you offering and how can those get in touch with you? You've got the website and everything here, but what are you offering as far as getting started with you? Sure. So um, anybody at all can go to my website and book a 30 minute kind of free session where we'll just mm -hmm. work out three next steps that you need to do. Mm -hmm. Anybody who's been listening to this podcast and has kind of heard something that really resonates with them and really has something that they need to work through, I'm offering a free hour-long session. Huge! <laughs> they Where's can <coughs> just by emailing me. So my email is jen at readwriteperfect.com. And they can email me, they can mention this podcast, and I will set up a meeting with them and we can just spend an hour kind of troubleshooting whatever their problem is. And then um, anyone else who wants to follow me can also find me on Twitter, where my handle is at perfect underscore right. That is awesome. fantastic. And we've got your email. We've got the website in the notes right in the show notes, in the comments here. So however you're consuming this amazing podcast, whether you're watching, listening, you will be able to find those notes right there so you can get in touch with Jen. Because what you're offering is really huge, an hour of your time to our listeners to say here, let me help you with this. So you're in that position and you think you're just getting started or maybe you're close to that deadline and realize you don't wanna go the rest of this on your own. This is that time to reach out to Jen. That was awesome. Hey, Dr. Jennifer Harrison, thank you for joining us today. Uh, on behalf of Amy and we miss Capri today, but on behalf of Amy and myself, uh, what an outstanding conversation. Thanks for getting on here and sharing your professional and personal achievements with all these other folks. So here's the deal on this podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed it, you got to give us a little love, give us a thumbs up. If you think somebody else would get value from it, and of course they would, you want to share it. And if you want to keep hearing what our guests have to say and some of our antics around here, subscribe so you can get it delivered every time we post a new show or you can listen to it live. So for the Education, Career, and Beyond podcast, we appreciate you being here today. And again, thank you, Dr. Jen, for joining us. Thank you so much. It was fun. Thank you, Dr. Jen. You are a treasure. <laughs>